It's Thursday, October 3rd, 2019, and you're listening to episode 526 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Morning time for this episode is 59 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. My name's Chad. And I'm Dale. All right. Fear the Con 2020 Kickstarter is live. Is that the name we're going with? This 2020? Yes, 2020. 2020. I'm tired of figuring out numbers because we skipped a year and then there was DrewCon and then we no counted that as nine and then we didn't do anything last year. It's like, screw numbers. All of the cons just yeah. tend to do years. Yeah, exactly. If there's a big year, like 20 or 25, well, we won't even know. We'll just pretend it's that year yeah. and we'll say that. But because we, I still don't know how we count these. I don't, I honestly don't remember if the last year of the con was 12 or 13 or so. Anyways, the point though being, I don't be wrong, it was a great convention. I just don't remember the numbering. <laughs> I remember the games, I remember the people. I just don't remember its number. Pretty but, sure it was 11. This one goes to 11. But like I said, I'm tired of the number. Okay. So it's 2020. So fear the con 2020. As of the dropping of this show, the Kickstarter for Fear the Con 2020 is now live, so you can get out there, check the back rewards, all that kind of stuff. Our plan this year is to do it very similarly to how we've done it in previous years, which is this is going to be an unticketed convention, meaning if you walk in off the street and you don't have a dime to give us and all you can afford is to get yourself to the con, then we hope you will get yourself to the con. But if this con doesn't fund, then we simply don't, don't run it. I right. mean, because, yeah, we don't have the money to get the hotel space and yeah. all that kind of well, stuff. And, and then apparently there's not enough people interested. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. And so, and there are going to be a bunch of back rewards out there. So yep. it's not just a thank you and goodbye. And there are stretch goals, but I'm not even going to bother talking about them because I wanted to fund first. Yeah. And then we'll let's, talk Let's see where we get there. But some of the back rewards are going to be select games with various hosts that have agreed to run certain things. I'm going to be running a side plot for whatever actual play we have going at the time that will become canonical to the actual play. So I will find a plot point that hasn't been decided. Mm -hmm. And at the convention, we're going to play whatever game we're playing then and decide that plot point. Going to run Skies of Glass, Kill Gil. Yes, yes, that's exactly what it's going to be. Like yes. if it had happened wait, 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 wait. If that's the name of the game, I need to go out there and edit the backer level reward because we're going to raise that one up to a thousand because I'm pretty sure we can get five people to pay a thousand to kill Gil. Gil's such a sweetheart. I don't know what you're talking about. So go out there right now and back the Kickstarter right this very second. Do not wait. Unless you're on Patreon, then you can wait. Yeah, you're going to have to wait. Be sure to get out there and take a look at the show notes, follow that link, and back for the con. We hope we're able to put it on. We look forward to doing it again. And we will be coming back in the subsequent episodes after this one to talk more about where the Kickstarter is at and some of the reward levels and other stuff that's going on out there. But for now, we just want to get you looking that direction. And if you're on Facebook, the Fear the Con Facebook group. Because there's constant conversations about Fear the Con on there, and specifically about planning and announcements go out there. And I pass information there first because it's a lot quicker to type it in than it is to come record an episode and wait for it to drop. Yeah. And once again, the dates are June 18th, 19th, and 20th. 19th and 20th is the con. 18th is going to be, if we fund it, it's going to be the social mixer. 
And I am intending. Oh, this time it's not a stretch goal. Oh, it's part of the yeah, main. It con? is just part of it. Okay. How, what happens at it can be stretch goals and things, right? But we have the room. We have Mikey Mason playing. The number of strippers in, and the kilos of yep. blow. That's up to how much yeah. we were. As long as the con backs, there'll be the wing night before. It okay. Just may or may not and have anything to eat. I will be coming back later with a specific date. But some people have asked if we will bring back the pre-con tourism. Now that I'm working a job that is much more. Balanced with my hours and generous with time off, I will be taking the week off prior to the con to run some local tourism stuff. So if you want to come up and see some stuff around here, hang out with people, play some pickup games, that kind of stuff, that will be the week leading up to the con. I'll give you an exact start date as we get a bit closer. But if you're interested, something in pencil on your calendar. All right, so topic we're going to talk about today is splitting the party and... Chad, there was a conversation that was going, was it on Discord? Yes. About someone who's having a problem with this. And as we were prepping the show here, we actually found that we have somewhat divergent views on this. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know that any of us are 100% one way or the other. I think we definitely do nuance this in different ways. I find in my case it depends on what the game is. Agreed. Some games are better for splitting Mm -hmm. than others. One of the reasons I like having the party split When it comes time to talk to NPCs, there is nothing more frustrating or difficult for me than having five characters all trying to talk to one guy and ask him (laughs) questions at the same time. Think about it from an in-character standpoint. You've got five people interrogating one person. It's so much easier if it's one or two people dealing with an NPC at a time. I think we even did an entire episode. It might not even have been a real episode. It just might have been me just whinging at interrogation of NPCs. Not yeah. even like spotlight in a police. No, we did We did yeah. an episode on. Yeah. Not on, yeah. Tor- not on torture. Not on torture, but, but like on, you walk into a bar. Yeah. You think the innkeeper has some information you need. And then it's interrogation time. It's yeah. a barrage. Of Three questions. of us are in IT. Have you ever stepped into a meeting and seen an entire team sitting across the table from you? Right. You immediately walk in and say, okay, adversarial time. Yeah. I, this isn't going to go well. What broke? Yeah. And why are you, not why are you mad? Because I don't care. And what are you mad about? Well, and or while they have me distracted in here, is there anything in my desk I don't want HR to find? (laughs) (laughs) And I feel the same. That's my desk too. (laughs) I feel the same way when it comes to NPC conversations. Yeah. When it's the entire group going to ask the NPC something, the NPCs are going to be off because. It does certainly get easier to role play one on one Mm -hmm. or two on one than it is to try and juggle an entire group like that it's because when you have a large group not even a larger you have like four or five people talking to one npc it's a matter of spotlight balancing the players want to get their questions in they want to get their role play in they want to get their snarky comments in they want to get their jokes in and it's just like any other conversation. Hell, it's even just like this round table here where we're all like jockeying to get in the information that we want to get onto the mics. Well, and especially like that, you've got the loud voice. Yeah, like I even had another person. point and Wayne came right in. Not to brag on Wayne, but that's exactly the yeah. point. Is what, you that mean exactly like this? Exactly like yeah. that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those things where if you have the quiet player, the quiet player is never going to talk. Right. Let's say we have like you at a me. table versus... Dale at a table, you're getting all the questions to the NPC. And or, they, like, even worse, like, Dawn at the table. Yeah. You know, but I if have you split, to scale back. Yeah, if you split the party and you make sure you put your quiet players together, 
Mm-hmm. Then they don't have to fight with the loud people to the NPC they're talking to. And then instead of the entire party going like a train from one location to the next, to the next, to the next, they have the role play moment of coming back together and having to tell each other what they said. And I love the fact that they don't give everything or their perceptions were incorrect. Yes. And they give they say things that are inaccurate because their biases and perceptions skewed the whole the whole encounter. Okay, so let, let's set that one up though, because we've kind of, we've shifted points enough that right. let's call this a second point, which is the comedy that comes from the game of telephone. Right. Of the GM presented information through an NPC, and that then gets filtered by what a character or player intentionally leaves out, unintentionally leaves out, screws up because they misunderstood. I am split on this. I do 50-50. If it's interesting and funny and does a lot of role-play stuff, then I, as a game master, I, this sounds really egotistical, I allow them to be wrong. I allow them to have the stilted, sort of incorrect information, especially if it's in character. If it's out of character, just, oh, oh, hey, guys, I, I met with the gnome wizard down the road here, and he said he's going to kill us all. And it's like, no, that's not what he said. He said that he was going to have you for dinner. Yeah, he's going to eat us. You know, that's sort of out of character banter. I'm cool out with correcting. Serve, man. But when it's RP, when it's in character, I really want to let right. I like I mean, the moment of saying, hey, out of character, you know, this right. is what was actually meant. Well, see, and I do that because the other side of that coin is, as a game master, I am trying to communicate specific information, plots, clues to get them on the right track so that they don't get confused and frustrated. And if they messed something of that up or misunderstood it, or I did not communicate it correctly, I feel it's my duty as a game master. It's like they have that role play moment. And then as Wayne says, what I do a lot is like, okay, guys out of character, you do know the gnome was not trying to kill you, right? Most of the time I have them look at me and they say, oh yeah, yeah, we know. Okay, cool. Just so you know. I don't know if they're telling me the truth or not or just trying to look good, but... Well, and I love that it presents that opportunity for a player character to lie to the party. Yes. Like to say, you know, even though the whole party knows that they want to take this train out west, that you're going east. And of course, if you're going to do that, you're going to have a lie skill because who wouldn't take that skill? I know, especially if you're a hustler. So, you know, I'm I'm going to make a sub point to this, which is I have seen this go terribly wrong where Mm -hmm. it doesn't get handled as good-natured role play. Somebody comes back and lies to the party or whatever, and for whatever reason, people interpret that as a genuine breach of trust between friends, or they see that, you know, kind of as not just social tension, but as a genuinely adversarial act. Yep. And I've seen that create some problems. Well, and I've also seen the case of you've got one player go have the conversation, they get the key piece of information, and then they don't tell anyone. Yeah, I saw this in a, now. Yeah, I saw this in a game that you were trying to run yeah. that you gave the key plot to a new player to the group and they did nothing didn't and tell anybody being, in and they weren't being malicious either if i remember right they were just maybe a shy player or a quiet i guess talking about the battle tech game i have no idea yeah. but okay. i very, i vaguely remember the story there was a battle tech game i ran where i can remember this pretty vividly yeah this was an epic of Rysos game okay but in this, in the Battletech game as well, I gave a key piece of information to one person, didn't follow the three clue rule, and gave it to just one person, and she related it to no one. Yeah. And it's like, well, there went the plot, because that wasn't just a minor little 
mm-hmm. oh, the old lady's kind of quirky. It's like, no, that this is a big yeah. bomb of stuff, and it ended there. It just never made it past her. And I think that how I would handle that, if that had come up, as long as the I don't think the person is being malicious, like they're trying to screw over the party, the person, the player is trying to screw everybody over, and the player is not being malicious. If the character is being malicious, that's fine. Handle it in role play if everybody's on board and, and knows. How I would handle it would be exactly how I handled the, oh, the gnome is going to kill us. It's, we do the role play, it happens, they don't pass on the plot information, maybe I slid to them in an index note. I would say, okay, guys, out of character, so-and-so has the nuclear football. They have the plot, they have the MacGuffin thing, they have the information. They have the nuclear football, and they are just going to go and tell my players this, and it's like, you guys maybe need to figure out a way to confront them, so-and-so... How long are you planning on holding this under your hat? Because if you're planning on holding it forever, then I'm going to figure something out here. You know, I, I, I need to make an arrangement. All right. So I got a little story here. Wayne doesn't actually know this because this happened this past weekend and Wayne wasn't there. From our Blades in the Dark game, my wife, Larry... She uh, was making a poison that did a whole laundry list of things because Mm -hmm. we had to assassinate a person with a number of conditions on it. And like, okay, so I'm going to make a poison that does all this. And because she has the haunted and unstable traumas, let me tell you, that makes a really great combination. She also threw in, and it attracts ghosts. (laughs) (laughs) Now, part of the thing was, this is supposed to be a subtle assassination at a large dinner party where... The condition was all the guests leave happy. So in that setting, when a ghost shows up, yeah, it's bad it, news. It's bad yeah. news. Ain't nobody happy. Yeah. So she's telling us as we're all sitting right there. So we're all hearing this, but she doesn't tell any of our characters this. Her, right. her character doesn't tell any of our characters this. So we don't know this. In fact, my character point blank asks her character, does it do anything in addition to what you have told us? And she finally, after a number of ways of asking it, she finally comes out with, uh, he might see things. <laughs> And which point I, I take that to mean he might hallucinate because mm-hmm. it's like, well, what would be the most logical conclusion is, okay, mm-hmm. so that's what I tell the rest of the party. This is, oh, there's one other thing. He might hallucinate. Okay, no big deal. Mm-hmm. Oops. With that, all of the characters in that game, when they were doing the planning for this assassination, they all did their research or they, they did like setup type stuff where Dale's character basically knocked out one of the guy's bodyguards to show, hey, you know, you got this kid. Why don't you take a real man on and make me the bodyguard here because I'm obviously tougher than this kid that I just knocked out, you know, made all the roles and stuff. And he, he did it. So he, he, he got into the bodyguard retinue. Every single character went off to do something by themselves for this whole thing to get this job set up. And she, that was her job was she went off and made this. What was interesting about it is that everything was on the table out of character in character. None of the other players knew they knew that she was crazy and that there was probably something going on. Yeah. If I would have been in her shoes, I probably would have written it on a note card and handed it to Chad. So the other players wouldn't have known. Well, and that was the neat thing about it is that it wasn't done under the table. It wasn't a betrayal 
like the player is evil. She's not. The character is evil. Well, I mean, they all are. They're assassins, kill people for money, but they're not evil in that way. She's not after the group. She is legit crazy. And so it the makes character, her, not the her. character. Well, <laughs> but the character is legit crazy. And the players know this. And so it makes for very interesting role play and challenges for the players. All of it is on the table out of character, but it's not on the table in character. And so my job as a GM was to occasionally when they are coming together back from their separate things to start talking about it and say, I did this, I succeeded at this, I failed at this. Is everyone on board with the plan? My job was knowing this and seeing what Dale was describing was to remind them out of character. Okay, you guys know the contract. Everybody has to leave happy. It's very vague. Everybody has to leave happy, which means you think that the guy hiring you wants not ghosts to show up, <laughs> wants not to set the house on fire, wants details, not mass death, which is like their usual pl- ghosts and fire and bombings is their usual play, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, and I'm, I'm like, I'm not telling them how to do their job. That's not mine. My thing. That's their job. The characters, the players out of character, are like we need to figure this out. This is now an obstacle that the game master didn't give us. And so we need, it's the puzzle. It's, it's the problem we need to work around. And in character, they had to find reasons to mitigate that. What ultimately happened is there is a class of person in Blades in the Dark that handles ghosts and spirits called a whisper. You can play one and they're in the game world and stuff. They're known. You can hire them. The team has not one damn character to handle and understand ghosts and i love it so the team hired a person for just this job not because they knew the in character that they were going to be attracting ghosts as soon as they poisoned this person with this magical poison but because the last couple jobs they were on they ran into ghosts and running into ghosts and dust wall is super bad and it was so bad a couple of the characters got possessed one of the characters got cursed they had she has a mark on her arm that literally attracts ghosts to them on her arm actually mentally imagined it on her forehead <laughs> well, it might be on her butt i don't know but she has this mark on her that attracts ghosts so they have legitimate reasons to hire a whisper and the whisper can help mitigate both their fears in character and then also their out of character concerns for the problem that was made so it was very interesting to get all the characters to split up and do their individual things. Now, this is kind of getting away from Larry and the ghost thing, but getting more back to why we split up characters here. It allowed them to showcase their individual talents. Previously, up to that point, I had been running a game where they were behind the eight ball. There's a big mystery. They know the mystery is bigger than them. They know it's super dangerous. And I feel that they're getting a little burnt on the big mystery. It is becoming a little too overwhelming for them, which is my fault. And so part of the the reason I had this game is to remind them and to remind me that they're assassins. They're pros. They're not bumbling idiots. And I wanted them to put them in a situation where they would shine. Because I had been neglecting to do that for them previously. And in allowing them to split up like this allowed them to showcase their individual talents, abilities, and intellect, or in Larry's case, super weirdness, which was great, and and succeed at it at an individual level. Yeah, and I think that's worth highlighting because we talk a lot in terms of spotlight for an Mm -hmm. individual character, giving a player a chance to 
play the game to play their character and to come out mm-hmm. at a role-playing level, but there is equal value to allowing someone to push their buttons and pull their levers to yep. do the things that their character is good at. Mm-hmm. It really sucks. I mean, even if you can still do great role-play and whatever, I have been in some games that I did not enjoy because of the fact that the game master knew I was making a character like such and such, and there was no role for me in the story that they were telling. Yeah, Whether I didn't know how to make the character, I just do bad roles, whatever. If I feel like I'm constantly failing and I can't ever do anything, I'm not going to have fun. And I'm a person that will choose to fail occasionally Mm -hmm. if I think it's better for the story. But there is definitely something to that of your character does something, and if it can never do that thing because of mechanics or because of the story being presented, that's not going to be fun. Like if you're always shaking with Savage Worlds. Right. In this case, too, I did not create a situation where there were slots or lanes for each of the players to slot their character in and succeed. I merely presented a situation. And they decided to split up and play to their strengths. And it was really cool. Dale's character was awesome. Because he's a big bruiser guy. He's called Cutter. He used his strength, his intimidation, his size, his knowledge of how fighting and bodyguard and protection work to become one of the bodyguards in the retinue. We had another player who's a lurk. She is a master of disguise. She replaced one of the maids in the target's house, disguised herself, rifled through his things, found out information about him and about his movements, and was able to reveal hidden secret information that would have not otherwise been done. We had another player who's a hunter, but she is also in character like a reporter. She worked her contacts, got information, got the stuff that she needed to know. And then we had Larry, who the entire thing hinged on because they had decided to go poison and she was making the poison. And she was making not only the poison, the poison, the delivery, this is how you handle it, this is how you work, this is how it needs to be done. She was literally the crux of the plan. And what was really cool about it, and here's the cool thing about splitting the party, is that the party gets to split, they get to do all this cool stuff, then they get to come back. And then there was this great role play where they're sitting in their hideout around their around this table, eating and reporting in. Reporting in, talking about the plan, showing off, this is all the stuff I learned, this is how cool I am, this is how cool my character is. And then now, guess what? We're fitting all this stuff together. Now we're a team. Now we're a cohesive unit that has a plan that's ridiculous and will probably fail, but we're going to be awesome doing it. It's an interesting take on it because really what you're talking about there is how role-playing apart mm-hmm. encourages, it doesn't force, right? but it encourages a moment of role-playing internally, mm-hmm. and which is something that I think a lot of groups struggle with is getting that character interaction going where there are things occurring that are not a direct result of something the GM did, but the players are expressing themselves through their characters to each other. And you're right that that time being apart, once again, it doesn't Mm -hmm. mandate anything, but it does at least invite them to come back together and to role play between each other. One of the things about this that we've talked all about the things we like about it. Mm -hmm. I've seen it go wrong more than I've seen it work. Sure. And the biggest Absolutely. problem with the splitting the party is if you have a group of people that don't get actively interested in the other side stories going mm-hmm. on, 
or let's say they do get interested, but they are fidgety or yeah. yep. they want to be involved and they want to have an impact. They, more have than you often, ever heard your game master tell you you're not there? Yeah, mm-hmm. that that is one of the problems with splitting the party is that people they showed up to the game to game. The party is split up. Exactly. And, it's, and they can't game. Yeah. So I think for me, one of the things that uh, works for, for making this work, mm-hmm. based on how many times I've seen it fail versus how many it's, it's worked, usually it's quick hits. Yep. You don't yep. have a huge, long scene. You start the scene. You start the conversation. You get to, I like the cliffhanger people. You like the cliffhanger mm-hmm. people. But you get to a good spot, and you don't have to finish that scene. You can jump to someone else, let them think about what they want to say next while you're on the next person. That's what I kind of prefer is a lot of switching back and forth. The bad part of that is sometimes when you feel like you don't ever actually achieve anything because you're working towards something, and now someone else is going. It's certainly on my radar, Wayne, that the minute the party separates... I'm okay with it, but I have started this mental vigilance that this is going to go wrong. And it's going to go wrong because either the party is going to be not just separated, but somehow forcibly divided. Because two people are going to go running down an alleyway chasing a plot point and end up in all kinds of trouble that's got nothing to do with anybody else or your non-combat character is going to start a fight or yeah. without well, any of the combat characters to back them up support or simply going back to what we we're talking about just a second ago people are playing less and that's not what they came there to do i mean it's okay it's part of the story people aren't joined at the hip but you are effectively saying hey, you're going to play less because we have these scenes where you know what and- i compare it to I compare it to like a Final Fantasy or one of those JRPGs where you're playing the game, you're interacting, you're doing things, and then you get to a cutscene. Okay, this is cool, but the cutscene keeps going. Particularly Final Fantasy VII, the beginning train scene, lasts forever. Yeah. Or even outside of that, Half Life. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. You can move and interact as you're riding a train down but it gets to the point where it's like i just want to do something yeah yeah and even if you're really enjoying the cutscenes, some people can sit and watch the cutscene and they get just as much enjoyment those are the type of people that'll go out to youtube and just watch the entire game through cutscenes. that's not me i want my cutscenes to be quick yeah and then and, interact and that's them. why i have that vigilance is because i'm already thinking we are walking a minefield here of either the players getting wildly sidetracked from each other or a player starting to get bored or many players getting bored because one person's action or role playing is far more detailed than anybody else's. And so I'm already watching for that, you know, reading the signs of the table. When is this dragging on too long? When is this whatever? And I'm going to be looking for an out to either say the person you're talking to has to help another customer or they walk away. Or, hey, Eric, you notice Chad's been gone for a while. If you want to join this scene... Oh, that's very important. Just say yeah. so. Because he's been talking to this dude a whole lot longer than you And you know Chad been... is never going to shut up. Yeah, it's, so... It, it, yeah. Even if it bends reality, Eric's like two or three miles away. No, he, yeah, you can just come in. Because yeah. we're kind of playing with time. Uh, actually, I want to agree with Wayne when he said uh, keep it short. I was in a exalted game back in my 20s where the rogue of the group the nightcast routinely went off by himself to do things so the gm took him into another room and an hour later we're wondering okay so when's the gm coming back it's like seriously it literally was an hour hour and a half uh, there was a couple times where it was two hours of them just 
role playing out in the in the next room. It's like, no, keep it short, keep it quick. Yeah. Let me tell you, plenty of us thought of, you know, I could go out for pizza and right go back. I could go home, yeah, and just stay there, yeah, and have a better time. Yeah. yeah, I think at that point, if it happened multiple times, I as a player would say, hey, let's just do this at the table. Our characters don't know any of this, but yeah. Yeah, and that's, at least we have something to listen to. That's right. what you're treading on is, look, we're coming up on Halloween. And to me, one of the biggest lies of Halloween is you can play anything. Is you can play anything. <laughs> you can dress up as anything. Is the marketing the candy companies use. Mm-hmm. Fun size candy yeah. bars. What is fun about less candy? Nothing. <laughs> In the same way, when I come to a role playing, I did full size candy bars last year. I did same too. Here. I feel like a boss. When well, I okay, so I brought full size Twix, and I think it's full size peanut butter cup packs, mm-hmm. and I think most of them didn't get passed out because we decided to do a big group thing where a whole bunch right. of adults got together on a street corner, and the bastards I was sitting with took my boxes of candy and just passed oh, them around the circle. Oh, no. <laughs> Nothing got passed out. But yeah, I w- point being, right. it's fine, mm-hmm. I think, to split the party a little bit, to let people have these opportunities to see other things, to have their moment to shine. But the difficult game you are playing there is just like there is nothing fun about less candy. There is nothing fun about less gaming unless your game really blows, in which case, different issue. Well, it all comes down to pacing. And the devil is in the details on pacing. Because there really isn't a general rule of thumb that I can give here. It really depends on you and the story you're telling in your group. And what, the day and the mood everyone's yeah, the mood in, and stuff. the temperature in the room, the... What I, generally speaking, like to do is, let's say the group is split up, but there are different sizes of groups. One person is going alone, a couple other people are off but together, and you've got one or two people who are focusing on something really important. Important to the group, or important to the story, or important to both. And the others are are pursuing side stuff, in-character stuff, maybe personal stuff to them. That stuff needs to be addressed, and it doesn't need to be addressed as a big group. And it's fine. So what I like to do is I like to to go around the table. My players will probably notice when things are chaotic and going on, I get everyone to stop, and then I start with the person on my left, and I just go around the table. It keeps it organized for me. Let me pause you there, because I want to ask you a procedural question, because yeah. there's a way that I do this, and I can't recall if you do it the same way or not, where I do it in two passes. By which I mean, I'll start by saying, okay, you guys will pull up in town, and I'll just mm-hmm. go counterclockwise here around the, the table here. Wayne, what are you doing? Chad, what are you doing? Dale, what are you doing? Now, I'm not resolving it. Right, right. All I'm trying to get down is where is this going to end up? Because yeah. if Wayne's like, I'm just going to go buy some expensive water, <laughs> I, I can just be like, okay, is this something you want to role play out, or is this something where... I just need to tell you what to scratch off from your money and we're done. And if I get to Chad and he's like, well, I'm going to go and start chatting up the crazy old guy down by the river. It's like, okay, this is going to be a tangent. And then I get to Dale and Dale's like, pressing my quick draw. (laughs) Well, or I'm going to try and raid the basement of this boarded up dangerous looking building that. It's like you've played with Dale before. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's like, okay, these are going to be bigger side tangents. And I need to get Wayne's action like, mm-hmm. Wayne, you're one and done. Now, because I can mentally judge this because I've heard what you right. each intend to do. I know Wayne's going to be an issue. So I'd be like, Wayne, you buying the water is pretty quick. 
now random course, encounter. By, well, well, okay, but by so, this point, so Wayne's heard so, what they're going to do. So I'd say, Wayne, what is it you want to do? And I at least gave him the option. So the procedural question to answer the procedural question. Yes. Like how I do it, how you do it is fine. It's great. How I do it, though, it depends. I have occasionally done a pass like that to get the temperature of what everyone is doing. But if there's a lot of people and it's too much, I can only handle so much at a time. Yeah. If I feel that I won't be able to track everyone, I will pull back and I will go one, two, three, four. I, I will go around. Now, so wh- I like the pass from the standpoint of Dan hit on some of the things that I was going to compliment him on, actually. The idea of you don't need to play every situation out. Looking back at one of the Skies of Glass games, Dr. Poe, the character, was going to go try to buy real cigarettes. That could have been played out and been an interesting roleplay moment, or it could just be rolled to see, do you get it? Based on what happened, we had this whole big action scene that wasn't going to work as playing. So you do the first pass, and then you pick the order you want to hit them on. So in Dan's example, I go to buy the fancy water. He asked me to do a couple rolls. Now I'm available to show up for Dale as he's going yeah, in no. there and doing you know something horrible goes wrong. I will counter that, though. Okay. That works. You do it great. Wayne does yep. it great. So I suggest something different, but again, it's situational. You know Wayne's a one and done. Buy the fancy water, scratch off the thing. You're like, oh, I can just tick that off and move on to something else. Except Wayne's going to be sitting there doing nothing, waiting for nothing. There's nothing in his future. He falls into ennui and despair. So what you do is say, okay, when you're buying the water, cool, we'll get back to you. Then you role play with Dale or I, but you don't keep the spotlight on us for a long time. Even though our, what we are doing and doing separately will take a while, you do quick hits between us. And what you're doing is you're thinking, how can I make that one and done encounter more interesting? Now, reserving Wayne as a player to get him out of the way, but he's a card that you can play on the other two situations is great. Especially if they get themselves in trouble over their head. Right. Yep. But if you believe that you can stall a little on Wayne, give him some anticipation for his scene so he's not checked out, and think of something interesting for the scene, it doesn't have to be big, you can maybe make that a little bit better. If you're not thinking of anything while you're stalling with, with Dale and I, that's fine. Say, okay, pause. We're going to Wayne. Here's your water. Now, Wayne, if you want to go into these guys, you're there. Now, I like Dan's question of, do you want to play it out? Because there are some things that I declare my character doing that I don't want to role play out. In the Skies of Glass game, my character has a daughter. Mm-hmm. I don't want to role play out my visit with the daughter because mm-hmm. that's not the fun part of role play to me. I don't have a kid. I don't, I just, mm-hmm. I want to be able to say he visits with his daughter and then let the game roll on. Right. So I like having that question asked well, of, is this something you want to roll out? I also try to do that because of the fact that I've misread it too many times in the past. Because, like, let's say I ask and resolve simultaneously. So I go to Wayne. Wayne says, he's just, uh, Wayne, what are you going to do? He says, well, I'm going to go buy some water. Now, I'm thinking, as a game master, surely this is going to be one and done. I can move to Chad and Dale. They're not going to be sitting there mm-hmm. for the next hour and a half bored. So I'm like, okay, so Wayne, you go to buy the water. He's like, yep, and to pull this off, where in town do I think I can get a nun's outfit? <laughs> and suddenly this goes into this huge, detailed, I did not see this coming, plot and side things, and he wants to bounce from this to this. And in the background, I describe, oh, when you're going to get the water, 
you pass the straw store and mm-hmm. it's like, wait a minute, I need to go into the straw store. And wait, got, we're going to the straw store? I didn't even know there was a straw store. Yeah. And, and then suddenly you got, and got my the, character doing it. And an hour, hour and a half later, mm-hmm. what I thought was going to be 30 seconds of, okay, scratch this much off your character sheet. And I've left you two just sitting there because so, I, I didn't have that moment right. to set the chessboard. And I've seen that happen with you. You know, if we were to make a list of all the great things about your role, uh, yeah. game mastering, all the bad things about role, your bad stuff is not a huge list. That would be one point on it, though, is that you spotlight too long. Actually, no, you don't. You spotlight just long enough. The problem is that you don't bounce the spotlight enough. Yeah. And so what I think is really important is Dale and I, well, I'm going to transfer to you. You're taking, you have a long, complex action. Okay. Dale has a long, complex action. Wayne has a small action. Well, what we think is a small action. It's not. Okay. This is not an outfit involved in a straw store. So what I do is, okay, we're going to go around the table. There's too many people because there's like three or four more people in this group and they all have different actions. I cannot handle all those people. Like I can't do... Because it's Wayne and Eric and Dan and Brandon and Dale. That's too much for me. I can't do Eric, Dale, Brandon, Wayne, Eric, Dan. I will leave someone out. So I go around a table. Now, the pacing of what everyone wants to do is not good for that. Again, Wayne is on deck to be done and done real quick. You two are much longer. Wayne's going to be sitting there with a thumb up his butt. But I go to Wayne first anyway. Okay, Wayne, what are you doing? You're going to go to the water. Yeah, you, you talk to the guy, something about a nun outfit, blah, blah, blah. And the guy says, you know what? I don't think you're good enough for this water. Dan. So what I did is I just created a mini cliffhanger. Now, it isn't like a hard stop. It isn't like, oh, no, what happens next week? But it creates a twist or a little conundrum for Wayne that allows me to go to you. But Wayne is still engaged because he wants to. What do you mean? I am not good. Not good enough to buy water. We don't what? sell water. to yeah, your kind. It's like, wait a minute. Is this guy some sort of crazy racist? Is he is this not water is, you know, there's all kind of questions going on here. Not huge. This is just a mini clip. Right. It's just it's just a nut. It's a taste to keep him there. And also everyone's sitting around the table because next I'm going to Eric and then Dan. Dale is sitting here. He knows he's at the end of the, the train. I hope I'm telling a good enough story that Wayne or Dale is sitting there going, not good enough for the water? What? And to hopefully following that thread. I go to Eric. Eric's got a long thing, right? He's got a long story, and he wants to do all this stuff. Do a mini cliffhanger with him. Do not do his whole plan. Don't do the kill the dragon, sink the boat, shoot the guy, do the drugs, get the girl. Don't do all of that. Just do the little bit of it. A hit, twist a little bit. Dan, what do you do? Hit, twist, little, boom, and then go around the table. And then from there, I can start bouncing around more. Maybe I start interlinking them. Maybe... Like in the Blades in the Dark example, everybody had their lane. Everybody was doing their thing. And as I was going around, information was being revealed that might impact someone else's lane. They don't know this. I made the whole thing up. And I don't mean I sat there on a Saturday and wrote the whole thing out. I mean, as I was sitting there, you guys are going to go kill someone. I have nothing. And I ad-libbed the whole session. So as... They are finding out information. I'm finding out information. And then I'm able to tie it into their other stuff. And well, I think that was around. entirely on us because you said, well, what do you guys want to do with the plan? And we said, uh, we want to go kill somebody else. Right. So that was entirely on us. 
Yeah, the thing I like about the jumping around is because then you can react to things happening mm-hmm. elsewhere. So let's say in Dan's situation, his character ends up causing an explosion. Instead mm-hmm. of waiting until the end of the entire scenes, you then jump over. Okay, you're having your conversation about the water, and the this straw is ex- dripping out of your nun costume, <laughs> and then you hear a huge explosion go right. on. And so, absolutely. So when you're subdividing it up more, you can do stuff like that, and it's great. Also, I want to get back to mini cliffhangers, right? So the mini cliffhanger thing, we don't sell water to people like you. What does that mean? Everyone's like, what does that mean? I go to Eric, I go to Dan. So as I'm going along, I've made that up. I have no clue what that means. I don't know what they mean by we don't sell water to you people. So I get to stall. I get to stall by running the game. I get to stall by interacting with the other players and doing their stuff while I frantically think of something okay, clever. Okay, yeah. If the players yeah, catch you flat-footed, then yeah, that is a, that's yeah, a very good idea. Good strategy to, to tread water. I get all the way around the table. I get to Dale, and I'm like, I have two or three ideas in my mind by this point, yeah. right? Because... I do a lot of role-playing. If I need to stall, I do role-playing that gets them talking and me silent so I can think of what I'm going to do with Wayne's character. Okay, I've got three ideas. Now it's Wayne's turn. Now I'm going to jump back to Brandon because I left him. He's like disarming a time bomb and everybody wants to know. We've kind of forgotten about the water because Brandon's character is about to die. And I can refine it out. Okay, I know what I'm going to do with the water. And Brandon, you clip the green wire click we don't like redheads <laughs> we ain't selling to a redhead none wearing straw stuffed bastard like you and then i mean so, so brandon does create an inviting house for a ghost <laughs> right. brandon Move is right in brandon's sweating because he clipped the wire i didn't tell him if it was the right one everybody's on edge we resolved this plot juggling 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 and they're all split up not everybody can do that i'm not and i'm not patting myself on the back because i fail at it a lot too I just obfuscate it because I'm able to kind of pull people in more. And then when I start, when the threads start unraveling for me, that's when I start pulling people back in. Yeah, I start doing things to where I wrap up the stuff and it's like, okay, and the bomb doesn't explode. And it's an hour later, and now you're standing next to Wayne, because Wayne's like, okay, how, can, how do we torch a water stand? It's filled with water, but I want to torch it. <laughs> And so now you're talking to Brandon's character about it. <laughs> Chemical yeah. fire. Chemical fire. Yeah, exactly. See? See? Boom. And the players provide solutions and situations. One of the other things that is to kind of watch out for when you're doing the splitting back and forth and jumping around, if something happens to pause the game, so somebody gets a phone call, mm. particularly the GM gets a phone call. Right. Now you've been bouncing back and around, you come back, and it's harder to get back into yeah, your pacing. Because you weren't trying to keep one place in a story, you were trying to keep yep. five. Yeah, yeah. it's still something I, I love having the party split for purely NPC interaction standpoint. Or, or even better, you're doing the water thing, Brandon's standing next to you, Dan is in the middle of doing his thing, and Dale is like, okay, I grapple the guy. Oh, crap. I pull out a rule book. And I hand it to Wayne, and I'm like, figure that out. And I look at Dan, and you grapple the guy. Dan, you're doing your thing. And then suddenly my co-GM, backseat pilot, savior (laughs) of the universe, is looking up the rules. We're not stopping the game. And then you get your grapple rules. And I want to talk about the reasons I don't like splitting the party. Mm -hmm. But before I do, there is one last point I'm going to make in favor of splitting the party. 
and I don't necessarily think the GM should set out to do this. So I'm just saying if this happens, the, the players separate themselves. One of the nice things it does is for you as the game master, it provides a scatter shot. Because if there was a plot point that I really wanted to get across in this town, or there were some bits of information, or I just had a really fun idea for an NPC. It's not even important to the game, but it's just interesting. Mm-hmm. I now have that many more opportunities to try and work that in because it may be that where one of you went, there's just no plausible way I can work in dropping a clue or throwing in a certain NPC. Or, heck, you walk into a town. I mean, every Game Master's had it where... The players walk into town and walk right past everything you took the time to build, and you're trying to figure out where to transplant that, what to do with it, do you ice it for a later game, where do you move it? But if they split off into separate directions, well, you're already fishing with that many more hooks now. Mm -hmm. And so it gives you these great opportunities to pick up the stuff that otherwise may not have fit into the game. Yeah, I will say one other thing to watch if you have a party that is constantly splitting itself Watch how they're splitting. Yeah. One of the things I've seen in a couple of games is factions develop, mm-hmm. where you have two players suddenly are, they are the two that are always together and they have their own plot going on and that's separate from the rest of the group. Like, I like contention within the group mm-hmm. some, but when it becomes factionalized, oh, yeah. it can interfere fa- with the flow of your game. Because the factions never change. Once it becomes yes. contention is great, you know, bumping up against each other is awesome. But when it's factions, when it's, it's well, this team on this side of the table and that team on that side of the table, then it gets really stupid. Yep. And it seen, never changes. I've seen that happen in multiple yeah. games when you have parties that are constantly splitting. So, so you want to know one of my solutions to that is to split the party. Yep, because if you're splitting it, you're choosing yep. who's going together versus if they're splitting it themselves, they're choosing who goes where. It, an example of this, although what it didn't have anything to do with factions or, or drama, when I first started our Blades in the Dark game, the opening mission, the opening thing, I did my my favorite in media res where they have no clue what's going on and they're figuring part of the problem is they're figuring out what they're supposed to do as it's happening. Was I paired up all the players. I split the party, but I paired everyone up. I knew Wayne was he you are such a pro, I didn't have to pair you with anybody. And so I could have you on your own and then make you the object that they had to help. I paired our new player, Larry, with one of our pros who didn't show up to the game until he screwed me. <laughs> but that was my intention was to pair up with one of the pros so that they could work together and have victories together. And I paired Dale up with one of my other pros so that they could work together and have victories together. And my other player actually showed up because she lives there. And you guys had amazing story that you made together. Yeah. You know, it was really, really cool. Both of you saved each other. Both of you screwed over each other. And it was awesome. It was exactly what I was going for. And it it kind of set the pace. But I did that by literally splitting the party myself. And I think that as a game master, if you see somebody going off alone a lot if they say well i'm going off 
in this direction, and you got a player who has not mentioned what they're doing, and it is within reason that they would do something. Like, Dan is always going off for whatever reason, good, bad, ill, whatever, to talk with this NPC. I can set the stage like, oh, you're going to go off to talk to this gnome who's trying to eat everybody. All right, so you and Dale's character are walking down this darkly lit road to the gnome's house. I am making, forcing a connection there. Yeah. As long as I'm not screwing Dale or screwing you, where you said I am going alone and sneaking off, or Dale is like, I know Dale, I know he wants to practice his quick draw in a mirror by himself or blow up a building. Yeah, well, and this is where I want to get into why I'm not a super huge fan of the party being split. I would describe the party splitting as an inevitability. Mm -hmm. I think what it would take to keep it from happening ever is such a heavy hand that people wouldn't be able to play their own characters. But I'm still going to describe this simply as an inevitability that you want to get the most out of. And I think that's what we've talked about this episode, is how you get the most out of it. This is not generally something that I'm going to set up. And if it occurs, my eye is already on how do I get everyone back together because... No matter what tricks you use, the reality still is it's less candy. Mm -hmm. There are still people at the table that are not participating. And role-playing, it's not a spectator sport. And if it is, it's only that for a short while. Right. And so I'm already looking at how do I get these people back together? And you know what? If, going back to your Exalted game, if you're thief... Oh my God, an hour and a half. That makes me... Look, I, I mean, forgot you even said it. Now I'm mad again. <laughs> but look, I mean, if the it was game master, bad. let me tell you, we were pretty pissed. <laughs> if the game master and the the rogue, they have a really great side story going, and they really enjoy. Great, they need to get a hotel room. Well, I say, yeah. play a freaking side game, right? You know, if you've got this wonderful story, and the two of you just love role playing together, or it's, it's even a, a slightly larger group. Let's say it's two or three people. I mean, I mm-hmm. think you're starting to hit up against the faction issue here. Right. But, I mean, still, it's like, great. Handle that elsewhere. Handle that in email. Handle that on a side game. I mean, come on, hour, hour and a half. And this is why I'm not going to invite this typically. Doubly so, triply so, in a one-shot or con game. Because, I mean, you take an hour out of one of my game settings, out of many, it's annoying. You take an hour out of my three, four-hour slot where I get to sit there mm-hmm. and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to be pretty yeah. pretty disappointed in that game. Well, and there's extra complications that come into play if combat happens. Depending on the game system you're running, I mean, yeah. Skies of Glass, any two people that have a shooting ability could be interchanged for a combat. But let's say you're doing a superhero game, and you've the party has split, and you have two people that are essentially street-level characters confronting a bad guy who they don't know is a kryptonian right <laughs> meanwhile chad's character is a magic user that kryptonians are weak to but he's off somewhere else dale has a chunk of kryptonite in his belt but again he's somewhere else and you have nobody that can do anything to this character right that they suddenly get in a fight with you know that's it, my extreme example but i can think of a lot of different systems where well, things like that come into play conceptually speaking let's look at our saturday game again the blaze in the dark game right Everybody went off, and they were awesome, and they contributed to this plan, and then they came back together, and they all brought something back to the table. 
Now it's time to enact the plan. And what they did was they enacted the plan. As a team. As a team. And it was so good. This did not happen. But how this would have gone wrong would be if, you know, big dinner party, big townhouse. I'm throwing things at them that they weren't expecting because if it just worked, it would be really boring. And they are maneuvering through it. They are working together, kind of giving signals, you know, the high sign, tap my nose, whatever. And, you know, people are moving into position to set up other players so that they can make an awesome move. I mean, oh, God, teamwork was great. And there are people watching other people's backs. There are people who are kind of like in the background, waiting to pounce, looking for opportunities. It was really good. How it would have gone wrong, which again, it didn't, would be if all this was going on and then one of the players was like, hey, there's a contact at this party I haven't talked to in ages that has nothing to do with any of the we're doing. So I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to them. Wait a minute. You had the poison. You were delivering it to Dale so he could deliver it into the body of the person you're trying to kill. And it's like, yeah, but zany so-and-so from the hat shop is here and i'm just gonna role play with him for a half an hour and it's like no no (laughs) we're we're running on all cylinders here we're just it's we're on fire it's great and as a player you have to be aware of the table the game master has to be aware of the table the people around the temperature of the game all that sort of stuff not as much for the players but the players still must be aware of what is generally going on. Will their absence screw people? Will their actions screw people? And not in a fun, oh, we're it's a little bit of conflict and we're going to role play out of it sort of way. It's like, am I bringing the game to a full stop? I talk a lot. I'm very loud. I overpower people. I get too into the game. As a player, it is my job to be aware of that and pull back. And if I can't pull back, then it is to use this mutant power I have to make someone else awesome. You have to be aware of the table. Yeah, especially if you have a new GM Yes, that may not know how to handle that. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we've talked about before is the players that aren't in the action then role-playing with each other. Yeah. That can overwhelm the table, too. Yeah. And uh, that's another case of... You have to, as a player, watch the table as much as the GM, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, the GM is the one that is running the game, but players need to be more self-aware. Yep. And we have to be careful with this advice, too, because we don't want players to be self-conscious about it. We don't want players to say, oh, I'm going to role play this, I'm going to say this, or I'm going to do this. Hmm. Should I do it? Am I going to screw everybody over? Uh, Maybe I shouldn't. You know, those guys on Fear the Boots said that, they kind of describe some things I'm doing, so maybe I'm being a dick and I shouldn't say anything. Yeah, and if they and, do, they might choose not to drop the grenade in the middle of the hall. Yeah, but, you know, err on the side of doing something. I would rather have a player doing things, but just kind of temper what you're doing. Yeah, I don't, yes, this is probably where we get to nuancing it a bit differently, because yeah. I'm with you, but I think if I had to pick a 51-49 split, I'd go the other way and say opt in favor of the health and wellness of the group over self. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I but see, on the other hand, but yeah, on yeah. the other hand, I mean, once again, it's not like a we know people who would do that. It's not who a would 90, just be so self conscious. They never, never do play. anything. They never do anything. Yeah, yeah they yeah. never take that opportunity to express their character individually or to chase a side mm-hmm. plot or whatever. But I think, I mean, it's it's kind of good to stop and question yourself mm-hmm. a little. 
yeah. to meter yourself. I mean, honestly, I think the root of all evil is fundamentally selfishness. Mm-hmm. And how many problems in this world wouldn't exist if other people <laughs> were a little bit less selfish and a little right. more, hey, how is this going to affect other people? But on the other hand, you want people to role play their character, yeah. their character as individuals, yeah, which mean, is selfish, but in a good way. As a game master, yeah, I'm with you. It's... Mm-hmm. A loud and chaotic game, it's its own problem. Yeah. I was definitely yelling the last SOG game. My nightmare (laughs) as a GM Mm -hmm. is not a loud and chaotic game. God. It's the quiet table. It is people who don't speak. It is people, a table of people on their goddamn phones. Yeah. And no one talking. Well, or. That is brutal. Or even if it's not, they're on their phones, they're just that timid, that quiet, that unsure of themselves. And at most, I maybe have one person stepping up. You know, I don't even have quorum or two or three mm-hmm. people are stepping up. It's just me role-playing with one person because nobody else will do anything. So I see where you're coming from mm-hmm. and saying err on the side of being a bit braggadocious, uh, <laughs> right. a bit loud, a bit um, confident. But... I mean, that's what Don had to do. Yeah. That's what Don... Don was a player who... There was a magical cornucopia of characters, stories, plots, thoughts, actions going on in our role-playing games that she was an active part of that was in her head. Yeah. And nobody knew. And she had pages of stuff typed out, and it was wonderful. And worlds made in Sims. And worlds made in Sims, and all this stuff. And it was great. And she realized that. She made a change. She's like, I play a type of character. Type of character is an intellectual, doesn't talk very much, and goes with the flow. And not in this Blades Dark game, but the first one I ran, she said, no more. She's like, I'm going to play a character that is going to be very difficult for me to play. She is loud. She's abrasive. She does not give a what you think and she is going to go her own damn way and she did and it really helped her role play she is a lot more direct and forceful and engaging in her role play now it took a kind of extreme character to get that out of her and subsequent characters were more balanced and more nuanced but it really helped her now this has to do with breaking off from the party but it does well, but go to the, the attitude. Yeah. Because exactly. it, would someone in her situation even pursue anything no. separately? In her we, mind? Yeah, if not for choosing to err on the side of being too loud as opposed to too quiet to be. And then with her new character that she had made. Right. She went off. She got a whole gang of underlings, named them all, gave them all personalities, gave me a sheet of paper with all of that. She pushed plot when things slowed down. She's like, I'm going and I'm punching the guy. And guess what? Plot picked right on back up and was moving. Cool. I think that's where we're going to wrap this one up. Once again, check the show notes for a link to the Fear the Con 2020 Kickstarter. Because we're looking forward to getting that going. And there will be a link to that. So go out there, check that out. And we hope you'll be able to support us and... Whether you're able to or not, we certainly hope you will be able to attend and that we will see you here in St. Louis in June 19th and 20th, 18th for the Social Mixer uh, next year. Mm -hmm. So, coming up quick. It is, and I'm looking forward to it. So, thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. See ya. This has been a production of Fear the Booth, copyright 2019. 
listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.